Aussies love discovering new restaurants, and Open Table is Australia's most visited dining reservation platform, with more than 1 million hungry diners looking for inspiration each month. On average, guest booking on Open Table spend 49% more than walk ins. Open Table's world class table management technology ensures your seats are optimized front of house to seat more diners, saving you time to focus on what you do best. And it doesn't stop at the end of a meal. Open Table's relationship management tools keep you connected with your guests, helping you turn first time diners into regulars. Visit restaurant.opentable.com.au to connect with your local Open Table restaurant expert to learn more. Open Table, empowering restaurants to do what they do best, better. I got like severe burns and did not feel comfortable enough to stop and I had to keep going and I ended up getting infected and going to the doctors later and spent months and I've still got the scars but those moments when you think about them are so ridiculous that mm. I never want that for anyone else. Raw, a podcast by Lightspeed and Poe. This is a podcast about the highs and lows of running a hospitality business. In collaboration with the Poe Network, which you've come to know with a conversation amplified. We have frank and open discussions about the state of the industry from the best leaders in hospitality. We aim to capture the extent of how far conversations can go. Uncensored, stripped and genuine, powerful and grounded in confidence. We unpack the unique first-hand experience from the experts tackling the very real and at times intense issues in our industry. Now let's get into today's show. The Pickle and the Paddy, formerly of the Ascot Lot and the Market Hotel in South Melbourne, have made the impressive step into their new home across the road in Clarendon Street. They specialise in American-style burgers, hot dogs, fried chicken and sides, and one of the most extensive and thoughtful beverage programs in a casual restaurant in Melbourne. But not stopping there, they also use free-range grass-fed beef, working with a local butcher for both their burgers and hot dogs, as well as making their own pickles on site. I had the pleasure of meeting the co-founders, Laura and Lyndall, recently while eating their amazing products, so I feel really fortunate to have them on the podcast today. Hello to both of you. How are you? (laughs) Great to have you both on this podcast. And obviously, uh, I just said in the intro there that I was there last week, um, had an impeccable burger, like it was unbelievable. So thanks to Lyndall for telling me to get the double patty. Like it was definitely worth it. I literally walked out of the kitchen and said, you can't do it like that. (laughs) And then I felt like such an arsehole because I'm like, I'm not the chef that tells people how to eat. (laughs) But if you're going to eat my food for the first time and then talk about it, I want you to have it the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, do it right, Sean. Um, (laughs) So, um, And getting to know you guys the last couple of weeks and having a chat about, you know, how you both start out in the industry and, the challenges, the successes of getting to where you guys are now. Let's talk about, you know, how you both started out in the industry. So maybe, Laura, if I start with you. Yeah, so um, at 18, you're kind of asked that giant decision of what you want to do with the rest of your life. Um, and She wanted to be a vet. Yes, and uni was not for me that I learned very, very quickly on and it was not an option to just do nothing. Um, by then I'd already had a couple of jobs. I'm... And so I kind of just said to myself, what makes you happy? 
what are your best memories? And for me, it was um, cooking and eating and a lot of my family memories of, of with my uh, my papal. And so I just wanted to hold on to that connection with them. And so I just jumped straight into chefing um, and going through the training of that. And what about yourself, Lindo? Uh, sort of like by accident, I guess. How so? <laughs> um, my first, one of my first jobs when I was very, very young was actually at Fast Eddie's. I don't know if anyone is old yes. enough to remember. Most definitely. It was 24 is. hours, right? Yeah, yep. 24 hour burger joint in the city. Yep. I think I lasted about three days. I I called in sick on uh, New Year's Eve because I had a massive migraine and I think they just thought I was... Out partying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I never even got a paycheck. And then from there I just sort of um, did a whole bunch of different types of things not related to hospitality and then somehow just fell back into it in the way that people do when they don't know what the hell they're doing with their life. Yeah. Yeah. So where did you first start working after Fast Eddie's? Where did I first start working? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Woolworths. Wow. Okay. Doing what? Checkout chick, obviously. Right. Okay. Like, this is like when I'm 16. Like oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, sorry, I should have asked that question differently. <laughs> what, what about after you sort of started with Fast Eddie's and then actually go into a proper, you know, restaurant gig, a proper hospitality gig? Um, I was living in a share house and my mate was working as a kitchen hand and I'm like, I need another job. Uh, this is just after I'd finished working at Crown. I was a croupier for... Quite some time. I've done a lot of things. But mm, <laughs> wow. um, and they got me in to be a waitress and obviously I'm not the greatest fit for a front of house. So they got me doing the dishes and then I just ended up in the kitchen and stayed there. Wow. Yeah. What did you enjoy about the kitchen? Uh, <laughs> I think that every day there's something unique and creative that you mm-hmm. can do. Mm-hmm. And I am a stress head, I guess. I'm addicted to stress. Like most people in hospitality. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Especially in kitchens. Yeah. The adrenaline. Yeah. So then how did you guys, how did you both meet each other? Was it through work? Yeah. Yeah, we've um, we've been in kitchens with each other now for 10 years um, and several different kitchens. So even before we started our own business, we moved from, like I was a head chef, I brought here on as my suit and we say those in quotations because we were always a team. first. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Um, and then we just did several different kitchens across Melbourne together um, as as one does jump around. So, yeah, we've been um, in the kitchen together for quite a while and, and getting to know each other's rhythms and stuff. How's it been working together, like for that period of time? How's it like being married for 10 years? <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty much the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, there's a but lot you of- see them more. Yeah, yes. there's a lot of um, communication that needs to be done, a lot of patience, um, a lot of recognising what each other might need. And and as corny as it sounds, you do need to actually stop and say, I need this right now or I'm feeling this right now or I'd appreciate this. Like there's a lot of times that we have to check in with ourselves to stay um, on brand and to stay true to our ethos and true to what we actually want to do. Mm. And, and, that, and to stay being able to work together. Yeah. Like it's a it's a big commitment to work with someone for that long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't know if I could do it <laughs> um, for sure. Um, so how did the idea of Pickle and the Patty come out? It was actually a different name at the start, wasn't it? Is that um, right? No, Pickle and the Patty was the original company that we registered mm-hmm. and then we ended up doing something else right. after that. that and then coming back to the Pickle and the Patty. Okay. 
How did it start? I can't remember. We actually <laughs> don't really remember. We've registered it seven years ago. Um, we just knew that by then we'd been in several kitchens together. Um, it did get to a point where we really weren't happy with the industry. We were either like um, clashing heads with the owners or weren't happy with what we were seeing or not happy with an array of things. And so we kind of were like, you know what? We can just do this ourselves. I think we can do this better. Like, um, you know, late nights just on um, like the post, you know, marketplace, Facebook marketplace wasn't even around, like trading post. And literally I was like, hey, Lyndall, like, for $10,000, we can buy this rundown business that they're trying to get rid of. Um, could we do that? And, like, we didn't obviously end up doing it that, but it just got that conversation started of, like, I actually think we can just do this ourselves. Mm. But we don't. Ha- we both don't have the exact memory of um, let's do this, but it just started naturally forming that we knew that this was the direction and it just, it just clicked in that it made sense. Like, we just trusted our gut that, like, we can, we can do this. How'd the opportunity actually come up then? Like how many times did you guys talk about um, – sorry, how many times did you both talk about different opportunities and then say no to them till the first opportunity really came about and you decided to go all in? It, it, an opportunity never really came up. We had to make one. Yes. Okay. We, we weren't like, oh, gee, the perfect location for hardly any rent, uh, you know, and, oh, all the equipment is already there, like, the, you know. Yeah. We had a few times where we saw and we were a bit ahead of, so like I said, this was seven years ago. We were already a bit of ahead of the burger boom mm. and um, we did have like what we thought was going to be the perfect location and we went to the real estate. We did think we had a perfect location here. And there was actually multiple times that it fell through. We did actually in Thornbury sign, like put a deposit for a property and the landlords fell through. And when we reflect back on that, we think we think like, thank God. We would have. <laughs> Why is that? Well, we would have failed. We didn't We didn't have the capital. We it's, didn't have it, the research. All that money. Yeah. Um, we would not have been successful and then so we kind of put that on hold we both went back to work we wouldn't have been successful it's that we didn't have enough money to open the door you would have burned through it quickly yeah yeah um um we kind of put it back on hold um kept filling up our journals literally like our wish like mood boards but we just started working for other people again and then um i just have a thing like even now i will literally look at um, gum tree and this and that for stuff and even real estate that I don't have a dollar, but I like to look anyway. And there was a, a rundown food a truck. Sick hobby. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a rundown food truck and I was like, look, let's just do it. Um, and we kind of went from there. Okay. So what made you say yes to that particular site? Well, the food truck I just felt like was more tangible to take on, um, and it ended up being a lot more work as everything is, but it was not as um, as going too straight to a brick and mortar. So we had a little bit more flexibility. Mm-hmm. The capital wasn't going to be as much. The investment wasn't going to be as much. Mm-hmm. I, I think it was a really great life lesson in business, sort of like, I mean, yeah, you could lose a lot of money, but the kind of money you're losing is not the same as if you sort of had a five-year lease that you were stuck in. And yeah. Um, and then when we knew that we definitely True. wanted to do this, we put ourselves through, which Lyndall found for us, like a um, program, the NICE program. 
Oh, so. yeah. Laura's like, let's do this. And I'm like, okay, how can we do that? So <laughs> we'd never run a business. So we actually did like a, a TAFE course on business management. Um, it's like a – Lyndall, you can talk better about it. Cause you... um, I didn't really appreciate what we learned from the course. I felt like I could have just got it from reading a textbook <laughs> in like five minutes. Uh, honestly, um, the actual reason that we both did it is because it provides um, a small like stipend – like a, a little amount of funding oh, that okay. pays you on a weekly basis pretty much for you to start your own business. Wow. So I'm like, okay, we really want to do this business. We have no money. How are we going to get money? And so it, it paid us pretty much the equivalent of youth allowance um, for six months. Wow. Which made the difference between being able to open the business or not. Right. Okay. Yeah. What did you enjoy about the food truck? Like, uh, would, uh, stupid freedom. question. Did the did the food truck move around or did yes. you have it? Right, okay. It was a trailer. Yeah. Um, so we had to, like, learn how to tow a trailer and that was an adventure in itself. I personally loved a amazing community. We still have friends, um, fellow food truckers. I don't, mm. Most of us don't even have the trucks anymore, but we stay in contact. Yeah. Um, it's almost like, uh, you know, circus folk or carny folk where we end up being at the same events together. We move around every day was a different location. Mm. Um, and there was a real sense of family well, when we, when we did it at least. Yeah, 100%. Where um, we fed each other, we shared each other's foods, we got excited for each other. I mean, we're technically all serving the same people, but <laughs> I don't think we ever looked at anyone else's competition. Um, and there was quite a few years, like we said, we really – struggled with money and so for quite a few years we ate by f- other food trucks it was a bartering system like our lunches and our dinners oh i mean we could have eaten our own food but it's better no, it's good to try other people <laughs> <laughs> see what other people are doing yeah, yeah. get a bit tired yeah, of your own. we have friends still from food trucks and really good um, business connections as well mm. acquaintances learned how, a lot how do you pick a good location for a food truck or a good event to be part of is it just sort of suck it and see or like is there actual intel that you can tap into? Anyone out there right now that wants to open a food truck, don't do it. <laughs> no, we – um, <laughs> it wasn't it, – I think no, things changed. It's this changed is pre, a lot. pre-COVID but it was very mandated. Um, it wasn't like you could just pop open anywhere. No, no, to, no. it started off like you kind of could. Yeah, and then and when we then entered – it became really yes. – mm. So you had to have actual locations um, – usually paid for those locations. What we learned very quickly on is that we were so wide-eyed and so excited that when people came to us and said, hey, do our event, this is going to literally make you thousands and thousands and there's going to be thousands of people. Um, it is. It's bullshit. Yeah. You know, we, we had to take that big dive and have all of the stock and have all of the stuff and there was times that people didn't show up to the events and mm. we learned that very quickly that you couldn't kind of – essentially trust what people um, were selling. They are selling their event to you. Sure. Um, but when you found a couple of trusted sites, then, for example, if we kept going back to the same sort of themed event, we went off our past experience. So, okay, we sold this many units last year. Let's aim for that and a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of like we ended up settling on only a few sites that we trusted and had connections with. I, I personally think the way to succeed with a food truck is to treat it like a catering business. Um, okay. That's where the, the major... Yeah, we started picking up is. weddings and stuff where you, you had oh, a guaranteed... Okay. Yeah. Or like, I mean, 
big, big music festivals and stuff where people are stuck there and they have to eat your food is great. Mm. But at the same time, you uh, put out so much capital investment to get there um, and a lot of things can happen that can sort of fuck that up. So. Mm. But, yeah, definitely catering. So how did it come to be – how long did the food truck go for until you until you did decide and ask a lot? Um, technically we have – we had the food truck, which it slowed down up until COVID. So we had it for about four years mm. um, and then we had to make that decision to just let that go. Um, and the opportunity came to us and it was a big step for us to be given a space that we could convert for the, the very first pickle and patty. So we went back to our – our roots and back to what we always wanted to do. And we really didn't let that go. Like um, we both loved burgers. Um, And so when we had that opportunity, again, it was a smaller investment because we had nothing. Um, And we just knew to just get our foot in the door again and keep building. Um, In the interim, we did still do like even for our food truck, uh, residencies and pop-ups, even if it was just one month. Yeah, I, I just, uh, we were driving down Smith Street and I'm like, oh, we did a pop-up at the gas, so I forgot we did that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, so it just, we just kept trying to just build on what we had. Right. Okay. So you're there, Scott Lot. How long were you there for before it, you turned into uh, the hotel? Um, uh, we finished 2020. Then. Yeah, so we did the big move um to like from a four-seater to a 400-pack pub market, mm. um, January 2020. So we were like, <laughs> Good yeah. <time>. So we were <laughs> like, this is our year. New yeah, year, new us. Got it. <laughs> we like, big things coming, everyone. Um, and that that went until March. <laughs> no, but like um, that was our, in 2020 was our, our – next jump and our next chapter for the pickle and the patty. Yeah, we were very hopeful and our sales from when like we started in January to March were going up and we were like getting all these catering inquiries and we were like really like this is it. This is what we're going to do to make that money for us to do our next step, which would be obviously having our own brick and mortar and then COVID happened. And because um, <clears throat> the way the partnership worked, that we were the resident of the kitchen, we didn't have any say really in what happened when COVID happened. <laughs> uh, so we weren't able to operate out of the kitchen to do takeaway. Oh, wow. Um, we weren't able to do anything. So we were we <laughs> yeah. were one of those that were fully we're at just home. stuck. Um, and we did try to pivot a bit. Like we kept ourselves busy. We like launched some. Honestly, we went crazy. Yeah, we launched some T-shirts and we worked on – Socials and we worked on connecting and staying open, but it really we couldn't do a lot. Um, it gave us a lot of time to just think of what we actually wanted and and look to the future. Like I think when you're stuck in stuff you can't control now, um, trying to work on what you can control in the future was what we tried to keep ourselves busy with. Mm. Yeah, I definitely have a different perspective on life after that. <laughs> yeah, I bet. So how did the opportunity to do the current site come about? Um, it was always our goal to have a venue that was completely ours with full autonomy. Um, that's always been the dream um, and one that we could like sell front of house and back of house. Um, and so I think like I said earlier, I always we're always the type of people that will look at properties, look at empty things and we did start looking again. Um, we didn't exactly have our heart set on South Melbourne, though we loved that we already had regulars um, and we loved the community. 
Um, but we just started looking. We started looking at properties. We were looking at properties during lockdown when they when they let you go in. Um, and this one um, opposite the road was empty pretty much all of lockdown. And we just kept looking at it. And um, we were like, surely it's like surely something's happening with it. I, surely it's taken. I actually called like over a year before we signed a lease to wow. ang- to inquire about it, and no one ever got back to me. And then Laura mentioned it again, and I just happened to call, and that's when it all happened. But that was literally like a year later. Yeah, and um, <laughs> and then we finally, like by this stage now, we've finally been trading. So when we tried to go to the bank for help in the past, um, they were like, look, trade a bit more or do this or do that. Yeah. Um, and they kind of gave us like a checklist, like check back in a year or two, and we did. We were like, okay, we've done this checklist. We've done this, we've paid off this, we've paid off this, we've been trading, here's all of our sales, we want to do this business plan. Um, so I think that's maybe what you mean by opportunity. Yeah. How did it happen? Mm. Um, we got very, very lucky and we got a COVID recovery assistance loan. Right. And if we didn't get that, we wouldn't have been able to open. Right. I don't, like I, in our previous conversation that we've had, we've talked about how difficult our journey has been because of our lack of capital. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, but we have we were very fortunate and we got it. And the only reason we did get it is because, um, thanks to Laura, our bookkeeping has been immaculate. We mm. don't owe anything to the ATO. We, we, like yeah. we are, are very, very good on paper, but it took a really long, long time to get there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that, that was the opportunity. Yeah, but then thanks to you, you presented them with an 80-page oh, business plan. Oh, yeah, of plan course. And, <laughs> and, like, they were like, oh, It's not wow. like they just gave us the money. No, we no. really had to work for it. Yeah, yeah. So, like, you've put a lot of thought into this. And we're like, yes, yeah, seven years of thought. Is it hard to make a burger brand stand out now? Like, even, even in something like a business plan and the fact there is so many, you know, burger venues that are out there, you guys are insanely good at what you do from a from a product standpoint from now a visuality standpoint going into the restaurant and everything you're doing from social media etc but like before that like is it hard to actually conceptualize and actually do something that's got a breakthrough can um i answer this Lindell? um i think that it is and i think there's a lot of great places out there uh, i think that one of the things that we just really try to do is just we had an ethos at the start. We had a, things that we wanted the brand to represent and I think that we haven't wavered from that. Yeah. And I think that we, we're very stubborn in a good way on that and we haven't um, settled. So there's some things and we often check in with ourselves like, you know, there is the pressure to come up with new specials and do new things and we do have the – benefit of having years of actual chef training behind us. But I think that checking in with ourselves and being like, is this a purpose to this or is this a gimmick? Um, and if we can answer that there's a purpose to it, then we go forward with it. Yep. So we don't like compromise for the sake of gimmicky or this or that. I think that we've stuck to the things that we want to do really well. Like even right now to, to house make pickles when – um, the cost of cucumbers has gone up 800%. We need to stick to a couple of our ethos that that are what the pickle and the patty are. Mm-hmm. And then I think once you start diluting that, then um, you start losing the brand and you start losing the vision. But if mm-hmm. you can just check in with yourself and be like, are we still on brand? Are we still sticking to our ethos? Are we still doing what we set out to do? If you're saying yes to all those things and you keep moving forward to only the yeses, 
then I think we're confident that we're we're sticking to what we want to do. I think I think what makes our brand stand out is how good our food is. Yep. Yeah, but I mean that. No, I know. Why is it good? It's good because I made it. Uh, <laughs> but I. <laughs> Like if, 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 you, if you give me a few million dollars, I can make anything stand out, but sure. that doesn't mean the, the customers will come back. The customers that we have come back and they do little happy dances when they eat and they frequently say to us, that's the best burger I've ever had. And I'm just like, really? Is it really? But also maybe it is, you know? Yeah, um, mm. we're, we're, I think we've still got... That's a big call. Like, yeah, we've yeah. still got that community where we're like generally excited to see people, we're generally excited that we're selling a burger. We're generally excited when people are happy to eat our burgers. Like when we put a special on, and the first time, like we get a docker for it. Like there's, we literally do a happy dance. <laughs> like there still is that excitement and that connection that we're trying to make with people, where we're not just trying to put out something for the sake of it. Like, and we we you know we go out there and we're like, hey, you tried this? Like good on you. Like that's a bit of a far out burger. Like did you like it? And we get that one-on-one with them and they, they feel that connection with us. The amount of times that I'm the one on their till and they'll be like, oh, well, your boss this and your boss that. And I'm like, oh, actually, um, Lindell and I are the owner. And they're like, oh, wow, oh, hey. And then they, they're like talking and they've put a face to a company that they can now connect with. I think it's mostly the food. I've eaten a lot of burgers in my life, obviously. Yep. And I've gone to some, you know, average places and some exceptional places and I think – there's a lot of burger shops out there that is like meat, cheese, mayonnaise, mm. lettuce, tomato, that's it. Yep. You know? that's, and that, yep. that's a burger. That's fine. It's totally acceptable and mm-hmm. it can taste good, but then what can you make that makes that like exceptional? And that's what I'm trying to focus on. Yeah. Yeah. The authenticity just screams through the products. Thanks. Yeah. It's really, really good. Thank you. Um, when we talked offline the last couple of weeks, to get you both to this stage – is even more impressive because of the challenges that you both had to endure in work environments which you've worked in in the hospitality industry. Um, can we talk about that and unpack that a bit with both of you? Maybe, Laura, if I start off with you, I know it's been a challenge and maybe why you decided to actually stay in the industry when many people would leave. Yeah, um, I have come to that fork in the road a lot um, and I have had some I've literally had to leave chef jobs um, for mental health, like um, to the point where it has literally broken me. And there is those moments again where you're like, I need to apply for another job. Um, what do I do? Um, for me, though, I love to cook and I love the industry and I love being in the kitchen. So I don't think I should compromise on leaving something I love because the industry is toxic at the moment or the industry has had issues. So for me, when I came to that decision whether I should leave or stay, it w- the staying part was, okay, stay but change it. And so from a, quite a young age, I started working with Lyndall on this company. So to me, I didn't think I should have to give up or compromise the career I wanted to be in. I think I just needed to start changing it. And that's why I stayed. What about you, Lyndall? Sorry, can you repeat the question? With the challenges in that you both had in toxic work environments, what have some of those challenges been and why have you decided to stay in the industry when so many would have left? Um, well, I think I already said I'm addicted to stress. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I probably would have left, but Laura 
I think has been an inspiration and a mainstay and is something that I've committed to. So here I am. Um, I was actually like, I was going in the car today. Yeah. I was thinking in my head, why is our workplace so toxic? Like our culture of kitchens. And what I was thinking about is discipline. Like discipline is extremely important in a kitchen. Yep. It's one of the things that makes what we do work. And I think when you are outside of that environment, like you haven't worked in hospitality before, you don't really understand mm-hmm. um, that kind of pressure and the actual need for discipline to be present. <laughs> um, like a kitchen brigade is like, it's literally like being in the army and people are like, oh, you know, you're, you're, you're a chef. You're so, it's not as stressful as you think it is. And mm. I mean, it's not, but it is <laughs> because you need to have that discipline. Yep. And I think a lot of the toxicity is because people don't understand how to make um, a, a disciplined workforce without screaming at them, without belittling them, without breaking them down, yep. like what you would do in an army. And so that's the thing that I've been focusing on and thinking about how how do we make a disciplined workforce without being a raging cunt? Like, yep. you know, <laughs> Laura's rolling her I'll eyes. I'll edit that, don't worry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, how do you do that? Mm. I think that's what we're learning now. Like we have an apprentice, we have staff under us. And um, the fact that we can have that discipline that Lyndall's talking about that we need to get food out in time to get it moving, but with still treating our staff as humans. So we're not robots at the end of the day. And at the end of the day, we're, I think that discipline has been muddied a bit over time where maybe egos and this and that has come into it. Um, yeah, 100%. Yes, like, yes, we need to tell our staff what to do and it, there is time pressure and there is danger pressure and all that, but we can do it in a, a respectful way. We can do it in a way that, like Lyndall said, I actually had a chef say to me once, that I will break you so I can rebuild you how I want you. Well, I'm a person. So um, a great a great example. Are you? <laughs> well, apparently. I wasn't then. Um, a, a great example of this is like if one of our staff is late and they're late and they're late and they're late, instead of just yelling at them or telling them be early, we actually sit down with them and as like corny as it sounds, we explain why being late in a line, what it does to the team. Mm. so hey if you're coming in and we've already got a docket line full and now we're behind because we were a man down and now you're jumping into a line and you haven't had a moment of composure for yourself and everything is stressful and we're stressed because we needed that third person and that third person's not there can you see how important it is for you to be on time and then we find that once they've got that connection once they realize like I actually care as well for this team I care for you guys I care for the company I work for Yes, I like you know what. What do you need to be on time? Do you need to change um, your public transport route? Do you need to um, allow time for an Uber? Do you need to get here half an hour early and sit on the couches and have a drink first so that you're ready and changed and go? So we're just trying to find that line where we still are. We still need to run a company. We still have to be your boss, but we can do it in a way that is transparent, and we can do it in a way that we we speak to our staff or we speak even to our followers and our customers and we're transparent um, and treat them with just like we're humans. And at the end of the day, it is a stressful environment, but I think taking a breath and remembering that like we're not brain surgeons, we're not curing cancer, we're not like people's lives aren't on the line. 
we can take a breath and we don't have to create such a stressed environment that it's the be all and end all. Yes, the same staff member though, um, I ended up sitting down and said, you being late affects me. <laughs> so the and next the time, <laughs> the next time you're late, it's going to affect you. If you are late again within the next month, I'm going to push your start time 15 minutes earlier every time you're late. And he was late and I made him start 15 minutes earlier and then shockingly he was not late again. And but that wasn't me being like mean. It was like I'm affecting you now mm-hmm. and it's not a big deal but you have to get up 15 minutes earlier and you don't want to clearly. So yeah, but it the, worked. Exactly. <laughs> I wasn't yelling or anything. No, and that's what we're trying to do. Like there's definitely ways that you can build a strong team and build respect and build a command without belittling and without like swearing and yelling and yeah. – breaking people down. I once had a head chef who um, was really stressed because it was super busy, like unexpectedly busy, and he literally said the next waitress that puts in a docket is going to get fired. And I'm just standing there being like, why are you saying that? Like, <laughs> That's not helpful. It doesn't do anything. In the environments that you've both worked in, was it was it hard not for those toxic environments to then rub off on how you would train and manage staff. And the reason why I asked that, you know, when you said, Laura, about the break them down to rebuild them, I was trained to train people like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I was the one who was yelling at people. Like if you if you, if you you met me and were managed under me from the age of about 18 to 25, you would have left. Yeah, that's true. Right? Well, you're so lovely now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that this is an amazing question because I think that at any point, and you don't have to be a business owner, you could be the sous chef, you could be the head chef, you could be in charge of a section. I think that you have a choice within yourself and you can very much like, there is a part of me, I've carried physical and uh, mental and physical scars from this job. So I could very much be like, well, that's how I was trained. So um, I'm going to train the next people like that. Um, and I have worked with people like my age as well, young and all of that, and they are taking on, they're carrying forward the toxic ways of the hospital industry. Um, so I can I can at least see where they're coming from, where they've had that upbringing and they've been trained that way and they don't know any different and that's how they think they should train um, the next round of staff. But I think that you have this decision that you can make where you can be like and I took the other way where I was like I was trained like that it was absolutely terrible I would not put another person through that so you just have this decision that you can make where you can go one way and continue it or we've got this amazing opportunity now where we're a generation that can start changing and phasing out the older generation of of doing things um what I struggle with as well is when like there's people coming into this industry because, you know, they love going out or they love bars and they're like, hey, you know what I want to do? I want to own a restaurant or I want to own a hospitality. Um, but they've never actually lived in hospitality. So they haven't seen all of the nitty gritty. They haven't seen the scars. They haven't been broken. They haven't. So that's your perfect opportunity then to make better changes and to create companies that are doing better. But what we're finding along the way is that they're like, oh, great, in hospital you can get away with this and you can get away with that and you don't have to break your staff and you don't have to give them breaks and you don't have to pay them properly. And so let's just take all of that because that's nice and easy. Um, that's where I struggle because I'm like, but you didn't live through that. Um, you, don't, you didn't carry that. You weren't trained like that. You're actually just bringing all of the bad stuff in hospital and here's your chance to do good. But you're just taking the bad stuff where like 
we're on the other side just trying to like weed all of that out. I um I think I look at being a chef a bit like being an artist. And <laughs> when you when you train someone so specifically, like you're breaking them down to make them, mm. you're just making a robot and they don't have any creative skills and they're not able to think for themselves. And I find that deeply upsetting <laughs> for our industry and like sort of the visions and skills that people could have. Like you've literally taken away their talent by doing that. You've just turned them into a robot. And so I don't like training people like that. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree. Neither do I anymore. <laughs> um, doesn't make you feel good right. at all. Um, what do you think we need to do to create you know, a positive work environment in which people don't have to go through the same trauma because I think it's a multi, probably a multifaceted kind of answer, right? But like what are the couple of things that you both are doing to make sure that you have a really positive work environment? So Such a hard question. Yeah, yeah. I think there's, <laughs> there's two sides that we can go at. Like I'll go at it from the more emotional side and Lyndall, you can go at it from the side of um, awareness Okay. Um, consumer awareness. Um, I think that, uh, like I've touched on earlier, um, as simple as it sounds, though it is not guaranteed in this industry, that if you just treat your staff and the people and your customers with respect, that's all we really need. Um, there should never be a point, and I've lived through this, where a staff member doesn't even feel comfortable to go to the bathroom. So it is literally just giving them you know, there's awards set up for a reason. Um, and so if we can just follow it to the best of our ability, um, you know, meal breaks, sitting down for that 10 minutes on their shift, you know, having that transparency that they can say, hey, I just need a minute or, hey, I do this. At the end of the day, we keep saying it, but um, we were literally trained to be robots, but we're not. So we need to just, what we're trying to do is just actually listening to our staff. How is your day um, giving them their actual breaks. So it is hard with hospitality when everyone is out for lunch or when everyone out out for dinner, we can't have our lunch and dinner at the same times where they're cooking the lunch and dinner. So it's not as simple as, well, well, give them a dinner, give them a lunch. But, yes, you can arrange your roster and you can arrange your schedule to cover each other's breaks. Um, it is possible. And we I was used to say, well, it's not possible in the kitchen but now I'm doing that with the stuff. We're doing that with the stuff. So it is possible to, for everyone to have their break, for everyone to have their meal. To either have a Friday, Saturday or Sunday off. Yeah. Like we, it's not rocket science. Like, all, you know, <laughs> our staff have at least one of the weekends off. Like, it may, it might mean that the rust is a little bit tricky or you have to spend a bit more time tetrising it in. But those are the little things that it, it's definitely possible to create a little bit of life balance. And while they're in the job, to feel comfortable, to actually want to go to work to pay them properly, to pay their super. To oh, my God, to pay their super. Yeah, like, like, how hard is it, guys? Right. Just do it. <laughs> yeah, so, like, um, I think just, you know, we want people to come into this industry, but when we look up the award and an apprentice is only $13, like, I physically cannot type that number in, um, and I don't see why anyone would. I don't see how anyone can get up and be excited for their job at 13 when they can look at an, a 16-year-old or 15-year-old doing the, another job for the same. So, um, you know, we sit down and we say, hey, you want to be an apprentice with us? This is what we can do. We don't actually, feel, you know, there's that continuous conversation of how do you feel respected and how what can we 
how do we feel respected um, moving forward where there's definitely just open communication in that side of things. And Lyndall, you've spoken offline about how we need to be educating the consumers of the hospitality industry. Yeah, I think a lot of the culture in the kitchen comes from um, the feeling of external pressure, um, maybe like from the customer or having to meet a certain kind of expectation. And I think COVID has definitely helped with this a little bit. Like there is a little bit less pressure from the customer. Like I think when they saw so many businesses failing and struggling through COVID, they actually saw that there was a human face to these small businesses, um, which which helped. Uh, but definitely a, a more awareness from the consumer side about it is not possible always to meet these ridiculous expectations you have. The customer is not always right. Um, and I think changing that conversation, uh, particularly around like price points and um, like time it takes to do something. If you want something good, it takes time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, we cook if we're cooking our chicken um, to order because we believe that is the best way to cook it, then you do have to wait a little minute. But we don't market ourselves to be like quick service. We're not marketing ourselves to have things up under five minutes or whatever. Um, I think that another great thing that's happened is that, for example, if um, off the top of our head the lettuce shortage just affected us, um, the industry, then no one would understand like, hey, why am I not getting lettuce? But because it was all over social media, because it was all over the news, because it was... um, Because KFC did it. Yeah. Then Mm. there was that conversation (laughs) and people were a bit more understanding, people coming in being like, what are you doing for your lettuce? Are you okay? Um, I think... We're still uh, serving lettuce. It's just really expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so bringing, bringing, Thanks for asking. bringing the consumer in on what is going on so they are aware. I think they they then understand more. Like, um, you know, the price is not of a burger is not for us to be making millions of dollars. The price is to cover costs. And unfortunately, they're the costs right now. Everything has gone up. So I do think that one side of, of the pressures of this industry is to let the consumer in and to educate them. Um, during lockdown, we did like an infograph on our Instagram where we said like, hey guys, if this is a burger, these are all of the things that that one burger pays for. Mm. And right at the top, like that one to three to 5%, that's profit that you guys, like that we're pocketing. Yeah. yeah. Have you noticed a difference in the type of, uh, the type of staff member, what they're asking for in the sort of years that you've both been around? Because I'm curious, like you're obviously creating this much more connected work environment with your team. Like you're obviously showing them the positivity, like you're um, – you sound like you're really outlying like the um, like the thoughts about the business and the ethos about the business and what your expectations are. But if you know – has that shifted as well like even to a better place because the staff are actually asking for those things a bit more upfront than maybe what would have happened when you first started your careers? Um. Yes. I mean, I think there's still a part of my brain that is like when one of these kids asks a question, I'm just literally like, oh, my God. Like that, <laughs> that, that, that's not something that would have happened like 20 years ago for yep. me. Yep. But also it's not 20 years ago. Yep. Like these are different people and it is different times and we should all just – be better. <laughs> yeah, like um, sometimes we have moments of reflection. Um, what another clear communication we've actually said to our staff, 
hey guys, like, um, we just want you to see where we're coming from. Uh, you guys get paid every hour or um, this and that, but we still kind of need that sense of urgency. Um, we were we were seeing um, that perhaps Pac-Down wasn't happening as quickly and all of this. So we were like, what's going on here? Um, so we kind of sat down with them and we said, hey, we would never do this, but we're just going to let you know how we were raised. And okay. we were raised that by hour eight of your 12-hour shift, you've already been stopped paid. <laughs> so that sense of urgency to get out of there as quick as possible was drilled into us because we're working for free. <laughs> so we would never do that to you guys, but we still need that sense of urgency from you. We still need you to respect that every uh, minute that you're over, you are throwing this budget that we've created for ourselves, this environment that we've created for ourselves. And, and at the end of the day, that's going to affect you too if we can't stay open. So it's explaining it to them like that and being like, hey, guys, we just still need you to step it up. We still need you to have a sense of urgency. We still need you to work as quick as you can while you're on the books. And then we can sit down and have a knockoff and we can do this or do that. But um, I think letting them in on that side of things and being honest with them um, rather than just yelling like, hey, hurry up or, or stopping their pay is those little steps as well. We're, but we do sometimes laugh how we're like, geez, can you imagine if we did this? back then and all that. But I think it's good that we're saying that and not that it's the same. Like the change has happened because we're reflecting on how it's changed. And I think that's important. I, um, I've gotten into the habit of telling the kitchen staff every time they make a mistake how much it cost, um, which isn't like that sounds really bad, but like if you drop a meat patty on the ground, I'm like that cost $1.55 and they're like, really? And I'm like, yes, it did. And if I was to sell that meat patty, it actually cost me $12. And I think it takes them a little while to understand that. Mm. But once they do understand it, they're a little bit more careful, mm. which, is, which is great. I mm. think as well, if you create an environment where, where it's they're not just rocking up for a shift and going home. And, you know, there are some stuff that that's what they're there for and that's fine. But we find that the ones that stick around with us, when we've had one, you know, for four years now, put them through an apprenticeship, I believe that it's because it's more than just a bank check to them. It's more than just a paycheck. They actually, we all care about each other, um, you know, and so they do care as well if the pickle in the patty is doing well. Mm -hmm. um, and I think... Of course they do. If we if we fail, they don't have a job anymore. Yeah, but <laughs> they're invested not, in their careers. Know, there are people out there yeah, that Yeah, 100%. Don't. I know. Mm -hmm. They're don't the ones care. that don't stay long. Yeah. 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 Um, just to go back to that story, that I feel like that came off really badly, but I, I don't. Not at all. I don't say it in like an angry way. I'm no. just trying to educate them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I used to do the same thing as well. Yeah. Like the thing, the thing I used to find is this challenging. Just when you were toxic. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember when I used to have my have my bakeries and stuff, and you know, you do a fifteen hundred dollar day or a two thousand dollar day, and then staff would go, "Oh wow, you're rich because you're taking home two thousand mm. dollars." Well, I'm not. Like that's not the amount of money like things cost yeah. things, you know, you you being here cost money obviously. I think so. that's another little thing as well. Like um, and we're, we're growing, we're learning as as we go. Um, for example, like it, it seems very minor but, you know, there was a point the way our point of sale system was set up on the track and all of that where staff could just tap on and see how much money. Mm. And like as much as we are transparent um, with a lot of things, I don't think that comes across well exactly like what you said, Sean, because they look at that and they're like, oh, my God, you guys have made so much money. Um, and, you know, there's that sort of misunderstanding on how much or how little we actually did make. And so those little changes, obviously, with a brand-new venue and proper point-of-sale system, yes, um, that they don't 
they don't have to see all of that. They don't need to see the bills. They don't need to see all the stress of all of that stuff. Uh, that's what Lyndall and I are for, for as the business. And not to like spook the uh, sponsors, but that is literally why we went with Lightspeed is that we could control um, what the the front of house staff members had access. Mm. We thought it was important. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, we, we often do say like uh, it, you know, we carry a lot more stress because we've chosen to be the, the owners and that's our weight to carry. Um, it's not the weight of the staff to carry those sorts of stresses. So mm. we want them to care and we want them to be a part of it. Yeah, Laura says that all the time. She's like, why are you stressed? I'm not stressed. Yeah, especially in a line of the kitchen. <laughs> like if I'm running the, uh, often if I'm running the line and the other staff members are feeling very stressed, I'll, I'll literally stop, we'll stop for a second and I'll be like, at the end of the day, it falls on me if something goes wrong. So if I'm not stressed and I'm trying to enjoy the line and I'm telling you what to do, I do not need you to carry that stress for me. I do not need you to be the one stressed because that falls on me as as the head chef at that moment. That falls on me as the person running the line. So I'll set the tone and I don't want us to have that stress. I'll tell you every now and then I'll be like, hey, guys, the pressure's on right now. We're, we're in a bit of trouble, but we need to push through. But I will never put that stress onto the apprentice or that because that's not their weight to burden if one day good on them they want to own their own venue then they'll experience that stress for themselves <laughs> but it's not their time now and i think that's the other thing going back to the toxic environments that it was often put on the commie or put on the apprentice and all that where no like their job is to learn and their job is to do a yeah. x y and z one, one of the kids last night it was actually really cute um there's a date coming up in the future where both me and laura can't be at work um, and he's like, oh, I was going to be on holidays, but I can I can drive back. And I'm just like, <laughs> no. And he's like, oh, I, I guess you need someone, you know, better than me. And I'm like, it's not about that. It's about if something goes wrong, I'm not having you be responsible for it. Like yeah. you're 18 years old. <laughs> you're not a qualified chef. Mm. You don't need that burden. Like I'll call up one of my mates that I worked with 10 years ago and be like, dude, do this for me. <laughs> you know? But I'm not going to put it on you. <laughs> Laura, oh, like, he's really cute, though. <laughs> <laughs> he's really cute. Laura, like you talked a bit about in that last answer about context and giving staff context, and then you just talked about shutting down, you know, the system for a little bit to think about stress. How did you learn that skill? Um, I think because I had um, so many bad experiences. Interesting. I think that. I've literally been on the line where all of the pressure, I was in a kitchen. I was not the head. I was not the sous. I turned the, actually turned the sous chef job down because I just wanted a stress-free job at the time. And the joke was on me because it ended up being one of my most stressful jobs. But I was literally felt so pressured in that job. I was running the line that um, I got like severe burns and did not feel comfortable enough to stop and I had to keep going and I ended up getting infected and going to the doctors later and spent months and I've still got the scars but those moments when you think about them are so ridiculous that mm. I never want that for anyone else like like I've said before and we can joke about it at the end of the day we are just chefs we're not there's not an open brain in front of us we can have those moments of reflection and those moments where like is it actually worth the stress or can we just be two minutes slower on this order? Um, and I think that's really important. And I think that, that that question just threw me for a second. But I think it's literally just because I had lived through it. And again, you have that decision where you can pass on the good stuff or you can pass on the bad stuff or you can say, hey, that was really like fucked up. 
I do not want to pass that on. Mm. And I don't want to go through that again either. So I think that's the only way that I don't think anyone was like, hey, this is how you should do it. I think it was literally just through lived experiences. Mm. See, I, I was going to say it was you learn it from me. Oh, of course. <laughs> I am very calm. <laughs> You're the most chef mode of all of us. Chef mode is calm mode. It's, it's just, calm mode. It's getting things done. Yep. That's, that's it. That is true. Is that just quiet? Do you go into a, like a quiet place when you're in chef mode? Like you just focused? I'm very focused. Very yeah. focused. Interesting. I'm, yeah. Even if our friends visit, um, <laughs> they'll be like, or family, they'll be like, oh, she's in chef mode. Like don't try to chit chat with her. But she. Do, but that's how she's exceptional at what she does and how she can run a line efficiently because you need to do what you need to do. I, I guess I have a skill of remembering um, – all of the moving pieces at once. Mm. And I actually find that very calming. Yeah. Do you ever reflect, I know you said, you know, we're just chefs, but do you do you also reflect on the enormity of like, and this is why I love the hospitality industry, the fact that you're taking people who might be in their first or second job and you're actually creating moments for them and an employment for them, which is really, really powerful, which is really important now that you're giving people context, that you're not yelling at them, that you're actually giving an environment which they actually want to come to, that you're paying them above board. You're thinking about apprenticeships. I mean, hello, you're a burger restaurant that is doing apprenticeships for people. Like that is very, very different in the marketplace. That is awesome. Like I, are I you, do you like think to, about that? Yes, and I would like to point out that we send all of our apprentices to school <laughs> because I don't yes. think that they're going to get all of the experience that they need from a burger restaurant and I mm. don't want them doing their three years here. But mm. I really like how when you work in somewhere that is kind of quick service in a sense and is busy, uh, you develop the skill um, to be able to run a line. And I've met a lot of chefs who've worked in, you know, very fancy restaurants, have had excellent training, who cannot really cook for service. And to me, that's the most important part of being a chef. Like, your, your mum can make a really great meal at home and it takes her six hours. Congratulations, mum. But you need to like, you, you need to be able to serve 600 people in six hours. And that's the skill that I think that we're giving them as well as being able to be creative. Yeah. We, um, I actually did the other day as we were mopping um, <laughs> and Linda was trying to get out of there. I was like, Linda, don't you think it's really cool that a 17 year old wasn't sure what they were doing with their life and actually loves being in the kitchen now? And it just happened that we were the ones that were like, hey, pick up this spatula and like, do you want to flip this burger? And we do say to them, like, I know we're just, I actually said this to them yesterday, like the way that they were plating up, like the chicken tray. I was like, look, I know that it's just a burger place, but this chicken tray has like five different objects on it and we can present it in a way that's appealing to the eye and we can still bring a little bit more care. Um, and even the way like we prep our onions and stuff, there's like three extra steps that they were like, I didn't even know you could like do this with the onion. I'm like, yeah, it's just these little things that you can learn and that you can take home when you're making a salad at home or this or that. That just is what makes us care at that little bit more. Um, and I think the line is a very good one. That we've come across a lot of people that, you know, um, we're, we're personally not fine Maybe dining that's why chefs. they're always so stressed. They don't well, know, actually know what they're doing. Yeah, well, <laughs> probably. Well, you know, you could be on a garnish station for years, which is great. But like, can you is look it? at can you look at a docket line and be able to run it? So yeah. I think that there is a lot of stuff that they're learning that we're excited to teach them. That you know, you could go years in the industry without learning, and then when it gets to the point where we have another project or we have another thing that we'd hope they'd want to stay with us, 
they'll be able to stretch other skills. Um, but I do think that even though it is, I'm putting in quotations, just burgers, that there's a lot that they can learn and a lot that they can care about behind what they're doing. My final question to you is like, what are you both looking forward to for both yourselves and the brand? Like moving forward, like you're in a great spot, you've got an amazing diner, um, the product is exceptional. I can't reiterate that enough. Um, and you're doing everything right by your people. Like you must feel, one, you must feel really happy about what you've accomplished to this point. What are you looking forward to now? Um, we are constantly thinking and constantly have a lot of stuff on the back burner and um, I would love the pickle and the patty to grow but, again, to grow to the point where we still know all of our staff members' names where we're still – I don't think I would like to go too big that I never – don't know that the quality of every single burger served that represents the pickle and the patty is exactly how we wanted it to be. Um, I do know that we that COVID really opened our eyes to non-perishable things in the industry. So moving into more merchandising and packaging and wholesaling um, and more on the alcohol side of things, um, which we're excited to expand into in a couple of our projects. Um, but I am very proud to look around and sometimes I do take a moment to reflect that people um, and us and the staff talk about it all the time, like people are deciding to go to, to dinner and they've had a conversation about the pickle and the patty and they've decided to come with their friends or their family to the pickle and the patty. Like She says it all the time. I do because like I do. It blows her mind. It, it's really it blows important. my mind. It does, I do not take that lightly that everyone's meal and if they've taken the time to come to the pickle and the patty, like that is so meaningful, that is so important and that is not something that we take for granted. Like every single customer that comes in still in this new venue, we are like, wow, thank you. Like maybe not to their face but but it, it means Sometimes. something. Yeah, and we're starting to remember their faces. We're greeting them. We're saying goodbye to them. We're bringing back that old school like uh, community feel where we're generally excited anytime someone walks into the building. Yeah, um, with this new build, Laura's actually been working in front of house a lot um, which is how we decided to sort of split it, that mm-hmm. we wanted someone that we could trust out the front and someone we could trust out the back at all times. So sure. at the moment that's both of us. Yep. And I think that's really given you um, a different perspective on the restaurant that we didn't really have otherwise. Yeah. Um, to answer your original question, like I'm sort of like not a glass half full, glass half empty person. I'm just a glass has water in it. Um, <laughs> And so, like, I see where we are and, like, it's fine. And I also see where I want to be. And so I'm just waiting for that. But I think, like, being a chef that opened a restaurant, maybe my first thought when I was doing that was I'm a chef, so the end goal must be owning a restaurant, right? Mm -hmm. And now I don't see myself as a chef owning a restaurant. I think I see myself as a business owner who owns a restaurant. Mm. So my original plan was let's have pickle in the patties everywhere and now it's not. It's I want like to really change and diversify my portfolio to have several different types of restaurant brands is something that I'm interested in. But as Laura was saying, just moving completely into other markets is something that I find interesting that I would like to do. It's going to be really exciting to see how you both develop this brand and subsequent brands over the coming years. I can't wait to see what you're going to do. You've got an amazing platform to do something fantastic and, and a really good basis in what you built with the pickle and the patty so far. So well done. Thank you. Thank you. Um, final question to you. Like 
people want to calm down, they want to see what Pick on the Paddy is doing in South Melbourne, how can people best contact you guys? Uh, social media is the best. Um, Instagram is pretty much our main focus. To be honest, we... Know, Laura's trying to make TikTok work. Uh, How's that going? How it's embarrassing. <laughs> we, don't, we do not advertise the TikTok at all because this is the other... We could talk, have, do a whole other episode on this. Like the yeah. pressure of staying on socials is a whole other job that yeah. we were not prepared for or have the time for. Yeah. Um, social media, to check us out, we do have a website... Um, it is like when you DM us, it is literally Lindell or I commenting and DMing back. Um, we're still just so high ends on that. It is you're speaking to us um, and that's probably the best way. Beautiful. As always in the show notes of this podcast, uh, this has been an exceptional conversation. I really appreciate both of you coming in today and having it with me. So thanks, Laura. Thanks, Lindell. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very much. Thanks again for tuning into another episode of Raw, brought to you by Lightspeed and the Poe Network. We hope you really enjoyed the episode and we'd love for you to leave us a review and share this podcast with your friends in the industry. It would mean a lot to us and we'd love to hear your feedback on this series. To find out more about Lightspeed and how they can ignite your business in hospitality, you can find them at lightspeedhq.com.au. Thanks so much for tuning to another episode and until next time, stay well, everyone. Aussies love discovering new restaurants and OpenTable is Australia's most visited dining reservation platform with more than 1 million hungry diners looking for inspiration each month. On average, guests booking on OpenTable spend 49% more than walk-ins. OpenTable's world-class table management technology ensures your seats are optimised front of house to seat more diners, saving you time to focus on what you do best. And it doesn't stop at the end of a meal. OpenTable's relationship management tools keep you connected with your guests, helping you turn first-time diners into regulars. Visit restaurant.opentable.com.au to connect with your local OpenTable restaurant expert to learn more. OpenTable, empowering restaurants to do what they do best.